gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Ethan Bartlett, and this is my guest, Michael Lilienthal. That's me! And we have a very special guest very this week. Very special. Very special indeed. Specialists. And if, if, uh, the, there's the most a, special of all the special guests. If you can hear Michael protesting a little bit too much, and if you can hear the little quaver of nervousness in his voice, it's because his wife is with us, Sarah. Hey. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah is, uh, is agreed to join us with an expression on her face that uh, seems to indicate it may be against her better judgment, but once you're in the room with Michael and Ethan and the Scotch, there's no such thing as better judgment. So it's true. It should all be, it should all work out. So comforting. <laughs> all judgment out the window. Yeah, it's okay. We, we, we don't judge you. You can you, still judge us. Yeah, you, you probably we will. we know you will. By so. the end of all this. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, no. How many episodes of this show have you listened to, Sarah? Recorded? None. <laughs> I have heard almost all of them. Through the wall. Through the wall. <laughs> or through the door. That's, that's a so, very good point. Sarah has been our live audience, our silent live audience for virtually the entire podcast. She has actually been in an episode before. She has. She has. It's kind uh, of an Easter egg in I the episode. Don't remember. Yeah, how does it feel to be an Easter egg, Sarah? I'm so special. <laughs> so special. Well, you are the special guest. Um, yeah, because what is she? Uh, she gave you a pen, I yeah. believe. Yeah. After you chewed her out through the wall like a jerk <laughs> through, for taking your pen or something. And now she's here to wreak her revenge. Yeah. Uh, because as we know, a guest has the privilege, if they want it, of creating a rule for us. So, Sarah, um, if if you want to, and at some point you don't have to know it now or anything, but you you will have the opportunity of imposing your legacy upon the show. Oh, does this have like a, an ex post facto sort of thing? Like if we break a rule that she thinks of later, does that like if we've broken a rule in the past? And... It, or on this episode, like if yeah. we're going through and we break a rule that she doesn't that she wants to turn into a rule after the fact, does that retroactively apply? So, as the person who has to sleep in the same bed with her now and forever, <laughs> I'm going to let you make that call. So, like. I'm, I'm this is this is the sound of me not getting in the middle of that one. Um, <laughs> so, yikes. Uh, in other words, yes, I I think so. So, ex post facto, um, yeah. you can you can punish us after the fact. So I'll just see what you do the most of. And yeah. decide, and then that, that's decide that that's the rule. So then you do have to come up with the punishment for it. True. So. True. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to play it that way, that's fine. But <laughs> yeah. That's, seems that's like making work for yourself potentially. Um, <laughs> this is the show where Michael and Ethan back themselves into a corner and then try desperately to talk their way out of it. Um, <sighs> hasn't worked in the past. Eh, it won't work now. It won't work now. <laughs> Uh, but we should we should uh, here at the the top of the second season of Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. Oh, I thought you were gonna say at the top of the Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch Tower. Yeah, I mean we are there as we are with every episode. Right. Um, it has as, since gained several floors. Yeah. Well, now as the that world we've begun season two. Right. Right. That's what we needed the time off for was to build several yep. floors. Because as the world descends into anarchy outside of this tower, we needed to get farther away from it in order to continue this very important podcast. It's true. It's true. We are a beacon light in this post-apocalyptic wasteland. A beacon light, huh? Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> Good, interesting, interesting phrase. Um, Don't judge yeah. my phrase. I, I'm not judging. I just... make, make it a rule that Ethan can't say the word phrase. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't seem altogether fair, but I'll consider it. <laughs> yeah, that's what people say when they're not going to do the thing that you're allowed them to do, Michael. I don't know if you know this. Hey, let me hold on to hope for a few more minutes. <laughs> Why are you holding on to hope when your wife is right here? She's going to get jealous. I know. Hope, hope go get back away. in the closet. Go away, Hope. We don't know who you are. Um. Okay, so uh, we've... We have another special guest very briefly on this episode, um, mm -hmm. and that's my wife, Karen, who is, you know, not the least, uh... oh, there's a word I'm looking for that I says what I want but won't get me into trouble. 
Okay. Um, that and sounds dangerous. Any synonym for bossy, but um, the person in the world who. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, who uh, would like to tell us what the rules are? So, Karen, what are the rules? Rule one: Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, gentle listener. Da-da-da. da da Thank you, Karen. Those are the rules. Um, yeah, at least for this for this podcast. You should see the house rules that she makes me. <laughs> um, they're Ethan's ringtone. <laughs> things like no holding on to hope and so forth. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you, thank you, Karen, for the for the rules. She's gone away so that she didn't hear me, um, and she doesn't listen to this podcast, so uh, so she'll never know what in, you say about her. In trouble, um, unless either of you tell her to listen to this episode, and then yep, that's happening. Yeah, there's a fair chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'll say something like this around her, no matter what. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. It's true. Um, anyway, so enough of me putting my foot in my mouth. Let's, uh... Put something else in your mouth. <laughs> like what, Michael? <laughs> like what? <laughs> I mean, the drink, of course. Yes! <laughs> so, um, we are doing a very special edition uh, here at the top of Season 2. Um, because Michael broke the rules a few episodes ago, Never. even though it wasn't one of the rules, but it was one of the rules. So he didn't get punished, but he did introduce a non-scotch <gasps> whiskey on the I show. would never. So I'm going to take this. You were this. super excited about it. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and it was so good. It was. It was very good. Um, but I'm going to take this a step farther and not oh only introduce a non-scotch whiskey, but introduce several drinks that are not just straight scotch or straight whiskey. <laughs> which straight whiskey is what we've been drinking this whole time. But um, over the last year or two, I've been getting super into cocktails, and I've been wanting to do a cocktail episode. Somebody help him out. He's drowning. Yeah, drowning in cocktails. It's, it's very bad, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> so today's featured whiskey is Rittenhouse Rye. Um, this is one of the sort of historical uh rye brands i guess sort of one of the the ones that was around before prohibition and and reestablished itself after prohibition looks like a nice um, ruddy crispy ruddy sort of orangey uh-huh, color uh-huh. amber color um yeah it's very pretty uh it's very good for drinking straight i think <laughs> um but it also mixes extremely well in cocktails so, um, what I've decided to do for this two-episode stretch here, we're going to do two cocktails this first hour, this first episode. That's uh, two strong drinks per hour, which I believe is the Surgeon General's like guideline for responsible drinking. Because, as we know, one of this podcast's mottos is... Drink, drink responsibly, responsibly, Ethan. Michael. And gentle listener. And gentle listener. And Sarah, too. So, okay, I guess. Sarah's the guest. She can do what she wants. Yeah, that's right. So, We're not uh, the boss of you. You're a free woman. Well, of course. <laughs> I don't know if you guys want to take a sniff. Mm. So the first cocktail I'm going to be making um, is called the Old Fashioned. Uh, yes. Sort of your... Never heard of it. Well, that's... That's because uh, that's you're because new fashioned. I'm about to tell you about it. It's sort of your prototypical... Uh, 
cocktail. Um, some call it the oldest cocktail. Now here in Wisconsin, we have a version of this cocktail that has brandy. Thank you. Um, I'm just getting whiskey everywhere, but that's okay because I hate this cart. Um, <laughs> in, in Wisconsin, there's a version of the old fashioned that has like brandy and and some other stuff. Um, well, and that accounts for like what, like ninety percent of the United States' brandy consumption is I, Wisconsin. Ninety percent. I don't it's know that statistic. I do know that a few years ago, well, the I do Corbell, eighty-seven percent like of statistics are made up on the spot. Right. I mean, I heard it was eighty-two, but you know, yeah, that's cute. that could be. Um, I should have brought a, a towel in. Oh. To do that. Oh well, I'm gonna just use my shorts. Um, Sarah. Thank you. Don't drink it yet. I I mean, do what you want. You're a free woman. You're, a, you're the guest. <laughs> um, I do know that that a few years ago, Corbell, I forget the exact numbers, but it was something like Corbell Brandy out of California produced like 400,000 cases, and Wisconsin bought like 280,000 of them. So yeah, Brandy is a big thing here, so I'm sort of betraying my state. Wait, you just told everyone where we are. I We've done that before. I'm I know. Sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I've... St- Stated the town. The the, <laughs> the tower is is above Wisconsin. So it is floating. Come and, come and get like, us. Like it's a, it's a little bit of a Howl's Moving Castle situation, but like. But less. Less weird. of that. Um. Yeah. Less terrifying. Maybe. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So, but this is this is the true old fashioned. It's just whiskey, simple syrup, and bitters. Mm. Um. And we're using one of my favorite bitters here. It's the Bitter Truth. Jerry Thomas's own decanter bitters, um, mm. based on a recipe by the sort of the founder of American cocktails. Um, and then the second cocktail that we'll be drinking later is the Manhattan, which has our Ooh. our uh, second sort of special guest of the evening. It's going to be made with Brovo Jammy Sweet Vermouth, which my uh, liquor store lady tells me is sort of an artisan crafted sweet vermouth that's supposed to be super good. Right. So those are the yeah. two cocktails we'll be drinking, but as we know, after this point, we will not be able to mention them. So, Slancha. Mikhaim. Prost. So, our book tonight, as the gentle listener may know, is The House of Special Purpose by John Boyne. Yes, John Boyne, which may be a little more famous for The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which I think we mentioned in the last episode at the end of season one. Which got made into a movie, I think was sort of Oscar baby. Adjacent, anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know that it won a whole lot, but I think it got nominated. Right. It was fairly well known. Right. Mm -hmm. It was quite good. Yeah. But, so, now, Sarah and I have read this book before. Yes. And so, if I may, I'd like to ask you my first question. What did you think on your first read of this book, Ethan? Well, it was it was really interesting. Um, like, I, you know, I definitely was glad that I read it. Um, that said, it struck me as sort of a very book clubby book. Um, and not in a bad way, but just sort of as a book that is really well designed to have sort of some complexity built into it, but also to be very sort of grab you by the lapels and make you keep reading. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, you know, that's like, that, that's great. That's not a, you know, some literature snobs will, will would consider that a bad thing because they think it's pandering or something. But like, if it's done well, that's, that's as legitimate, I think, a, a practice of art as anything else is. Um, you know, but it was very just, uh, you know, between the, the shifting timelines and the the mysteries at the center of it, mm-hmm. um, it was very much sort of throwing everything at the the um, attempt to sort of just keep you reading and keep you pulled mm-hmm. in. Um, uh, so beyond that, there was something else I was going to say, and I'm... sure saying the sentence in order to try to, to remember what it was. Well, I, I can say I think that's kind of the oh. line that John Boyne rides. Yeah. That, like, near book clubby, but also really compelling, and like right. that's where he lives. He's not, right on that line. He's not faking any of it. No. It's not, no. It's not like a cheap, you know, like, 
Dan Brown-esque yeah. attempt to sort of <laughs> suck you in by just creating controversy artificially. Right. Everything he's doing has a, a legitimate, I would say, intellectual artistic basis right. to it. Now, what I will say with that is I've read three books by John Boyne, The Boy in the Tight Pajamas, this one, and The Absolutist, mm-hmm. and I think The Absolutist is the one where he kind of loses his footing and does kind of fall into that book clubby. um sensationalism for sensationalism's sake okay uh sort of thing like there there are parts of it that are really compelling but that's not the book we're talking about sure so that's all i'll say about that (laughs) yeah this one i think is brilliant sure yeah i i think so too and you know i will say i this this book in sort of an oversized paperback is 470 pages and i read it in two days (laughs) um and i didn't even you know i didn't feel like i was like losing losing sleep in an unhealthy way or anything like that you know over over reading it um but it it just you know kept me interested kept me reading pulled me along and suddenly it was over was... sure that's yeah that's kind of the way it goes uh with this one that was my impression anyway that it's it's really compelling you you read you read you read and then you're at the end and it kind of hits you suddenly at yeah. the end there it's not in a formal sense it doesn't sort of seem like it shouldn't be the end but it does also sneak up on you yeah 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 do you have thoughts sarah and now i'm thinking and now i'm stuck on the ending talking about how it jumped let's let's talk about the ending well i'm just saying you knew it was coming you knew exactly how the book was going to end based on what the first chapter the first chapter sets you up for the end you know exactly will end and it still does catch you by surprise and you're still not ready for it yeah Yeah, definitely definitely should should we take a moment here to pause and let the gentle gentle listener read the book yeah let's do that so spoilers coming ahead So, so gentle listener take your book go sit down make yourself cozy Get under a blanket, grab a, a coffee or, or something. Or what else? Uh, coffee. Coffee? Coffee. Definitely coffee. Only coffee. Or water. Water's fine. Maybe tea. Maybe tea. Maybe That's tea. okay. Juice. A compote. Compote. <laughs> <laughs> huh. And delight yourself in the book that is The House of Special Purpose by John Boyne. Go. We'll wait. Welcome back. Hey! How was that? So, like, wasn't that great? Didn't we, it just pull we talked right so along? much? I, you know, I after after how long it took them to read that book, yeah. I don't know if there's anything more for us to talk about. Yeah, no, I think yeah, we I should think end we've the podcast. We, we covered everything. We really have. We need to end so. the podcast, right? So, everybody, yeah. uh, just kidding. <laughs> gotcha. You really we're, thought we were ending the podcast, we're didn't super you? Funny. <laughs> we're hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wanted Sarah to record her facial expression after Michael said, you're hilarious, and then you just did with that <laughs> delivery, so very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, the end. Okay, um, and, and in fact, like, what Sarah said and, and talking about spoilers and talking about the end is sort of the first thing that I thought of to bring up. Um, when did you guys know... So there's the fact Ooh, revealed yes. at the end, Ooh. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. Now, so the first time that you have textual proof, and since everyone listening has now at least had time to read this, I think it's fair to just spoil it and say yeah. the 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 first time you have definitive textual proof of what the ending is or of who um, Zoya is that she's the princess Anastasia, right? Um, is the it's the last line, right? Not it, the last line, but it's it's or it's in that of, last pair last last chapter anyway. I think yeah, or the end of the second to last chapter or something. Yeah, it's close close to the end when it's made explicit. Yeah. Okay. Well, by by four fifty six, which is the second to last chapter, uh, is the the that last so oh, starting yeah. at the bottom of four fifty five is the first time you have a conversation where the character Anastasia from the flashback is explicitly linked and changes her name essentially to Zoya, Zoya. who's from the flash forward, the, mm-hmm. the modern right. portion. So like if you were only doing sort of a surface level read or if you just weren't very good at picking up on clues at all. Right. And like I think that's what it would take to not get this until this right, point. Right, because it's pretty explicit. Not it, it's, it's it's heavily implied. It's yeah. There. It's, it's there. well it's there 
But if you you know again, if you weren't reading into it at all, it would take you till page four fifty six to prove it definitively. Right. Right. However, I doubt that anyone who ever reads this book who has you know had an English class in high school, much less in college, <laughs> will take that long to get it. Right. So that's that's why I'm interested. When did you guys get it? Do you remember? I, I remember, I don't remember the page number, but it was, um, I actually, the first time I, I read this book, I was reading it simultaneously with Sarah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I got to this point where I realized, oh, I think that's who this is. And I wrote it down, wrote the page number uh-huh. down. Like, I realized it at this page. This is why I think this is the, the fact that Zoya is Anastasia as an adult, mm. and it was uh, it was early on when Georgie is in Saint Petersburg, and um, I, was it was it with the the nuts when when she spilled the nuts? That's the first time he ever sees her. Yeah, you can't possibly have known it then. I, it was early. I think I did. It was early. I think I knew it at that point. So can't as much as I can, I'll back you up on this. Sure, one, Michael. sure. When did you know, Sarah? I can't remember now. Because it really is something that sort of dawns on you, mm-hmm. which is one of the most interesting things, I think, just experientially well, reading this book. And can I say, too, reading it a second time, knowing that fact, uh-huh. it doesn't seem like it should be such a revelation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I remember it definitely being that big of a revelation. Like, whoa, Zoya is Anastasia. That's so cool. But now reading it a second time and like... As soon as the first chapter begins, where it's Georgie and Zoya, and you know Zoya as Anastasia, it doesn't seem like it should be that big of a deal, yeah. even though you're still compelled by the characters. Right, right. it doesn't ruin the story it at doesn't all. It doesn't at all. It's not right. the sort of surprise where, like, well, I know this is coming, and so I right. lack interest in the book. It really didn't ruin it at all. No. It maybe added a new layer. Sure. Right. Reading it the second time, and then picturing Georgie and Zoya in the Georgie and Anastasia. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think that's the, the sign of a well-told story, you know, um, is is the fact that knowing everything going in sort of doesn't ruin it. It, it adds to the experience. It's, it's interesting yeah. that we're, we're having this discussion at the top of Season 2, because we pretty much had this one right at the beginning of of the first like the first yeah. episode that we did because it was a book that we both read yeah and we pretty much had an, a- an analysis going into it well that but also just the idea of spoilers you know? yeah i think there are certain stories where it's really fun to not know <clears throat> the revelations going in but i sure. think with and I, I said this at the time a really good story if you do go into it knowing the revelations it's it's still going to be a good story yeah um or in other words if something if knowing the t- plot twist ruins the story, the story was not good to begin with. <laughs> right, so. right. No, definitely. Because um, then that's the whole thing that it all the story hinges on. And yeah. if that's all that it hinges on, then that's not actually a story. Right. That's, that's a sensation. That's a sensation. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Which, you know, sensationalism has its pleasures, but they're certainly not as impressive or as uh, uh, complex as right. deep. other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lasting. Yeah, it always. Yeah, it, the one I think of in this connection often is the book The Murder, or just the book Murder on the Orient Express. Don't spoil it for Sarah. No, I won't. Okay. Um, because that's not the book that we gave everyone a chance to read for this podcast. Right. But um, the you know that that's and uh, that's sort of an Agatha Christie thing, right? Is that it all hinges on the twist right, right. at the end. Um. But I, you know, I read it for the first time and somehow managed to never have had it spoiled for me. Mm-hmm. And so the twist did just fall on me like a ton of bricks. Um, mm-hmm. But then going back, because I think I immediately read it a second time after reading it the first time, which is pretty rare for me. <laughs> but going back and reading it that second time, knowing exactly what the twist at the end was, just made me appreciate sort of mm-hmm. everything else that I wasn't thinking about while yeah. I was trying to predict what the plot would be because you know it's so beautifully set up and even in the legitimate mm-hmm. sort of character work that there is in that book oh, absolutely you know it's all just like this beautiful structure that you really can only see that when you're not worried about um what the you know predicting the plot or what the twist right, will be right like you could try to make the argument that a mystery is the only kind of story where the twist really matters but even still 
a well-done mystery, as Agatha Christie proves, yeah. is still great even when you know the twist. Yeah, and like, especially, you know, when you have some of these mysteries that rise to arguably the leather level of literature, like some of Agatha Christie, like mm-hmm. um, Dorothy Sayers, like mm-hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle, mm-hmm. you know, um, the twist is there and it's part of, especially the initial reading, that's part of the pleasure, but that's not the only thing that right. there is to get out of this. You know, otherwise people wouldn't read Sherlock Holmes anymore because the twist endings have been revealed. Right. You know? Um. Yeah, and and you know, similarly in this book, like, I I was one of my first thoughts on reading through this book was like that that twist, the Zoya Anastasia twist, was super obvious. Mm-hmm. But I, it didn't like it wasn't a pejorative thing to me. It wasn't like a a oh this this book is dumb. Kind right. Of thing. No. It, it wasn't this super surprising, I never would have thought that was coming sort of twist. It was, oh my goodness, I really hope I'm right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's John Boyne still within here kind of weaves in these ideas. It's especially in those chapter endings uh-huh. where, um, like, the, I can't remember which chapter it is, but um, there was some chapter where it ended with. Oh, I can't. I can't even remember which timeline it is because the book interweaves timelines. Yeah. It's, it it so starts well. at the end and and then goes to to the beginning and then like it, it funnels right towards a point and then jumps all the way to the end again. But yeah. like I can't remember whether he was with Anastasia or Zoya uh, in this chapter. But at the end of that chapter says something about how uh, he never loved anybody like this person yeah and so i think it was an anastasia chapter and it's like i never loved anybody like anastasia and so you're left thinking like oh what's wrong with his marriage to zoya and that's right right around the chapters where there are marriage problems with zoya right and so like oh and and it's it's so well crafted that like if you don't know if you are that dense no offense to our gentle listeners who may (laughs) or may not (laughs) have gotten it (laughs) i mean to be to be fair we did only give them like 30 seconds that's true that's true so um but like there's plenty of time to pause the podcast it's it's enough to get you to think about might not have a pause button how's it going michael (sighs) you'll be all right you're you're clearly the one with the problem here it's me. I'm the problem. Just calm down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's good. Yeah. It's what I'm saying. He does a good job. Um, it's in it. Well, and it's interesting too, in that, in that sort of juncture that you, that you point out there, because, you know, if it, it almost works either way. And that's part of Mm -hmm. the, the craft skill that you're talking about here. Um, because if you do know, then you have this, this sense that Zoya and Anastasia are two different people, which is a, a sense that you get from Zoya herself, uh-huh. especially later in the book, after that point of the book. Yes. Um, well, cause she's reinventing herself. Yeah. Right. Well, and some like, of her depression and her malaise is, yep. is related to yep. just that disconnect between, mm-hmm. you know, she's been ripped out of her world. Trauma. Yeah. And then she's trying to make her way in this new world, and she's even seeking out manual labor. Right. Uh, which, as Anastasia, she never had to worry about. Right. And so, like, she's diving headfirst into this new world. Right. Um, but also, it's tearing her apart. Right. Well, it's turning upside down everything she had known up mm-hmm. until that point. It is an upheaval of her life. I mean, the 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 plot, the book is just upheaval basically right. yeah yeah um, but that things go wrong and nothing works right and <laughs> right the, the things fall apart the center cannot hold yeah 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 essentially um and that's that's an interesting perspective thing too because that's very much russia at this this period yes. right it's just you know there's there's a great like a big historical resonance there um that you know, in a sense, like all of Russian history has something of that feeling, because even during the days of the czars, like which house was the legitimate line, and you know who had claims over what territories, like that was all very fraught. Um, let alone this incredible upheaval that you know 
arguably is something that happened in 1917 and that in 2017 Russia still has not recovered from in any real way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I wasn't sure where to introduce this theory, uh-huh. but I'm going to do it now okay. because you're talking about Russia in a broader scope. Right. And that's where this fits in. Um, so this book, I feel like in some ways is a love letter to Leo Tolstoy. I had been wondering when to introduce what I'm pretty sure based on where you're looking in the book you are about to say. Um, um, but go ahead, because so the I just first, want it said. I don't care so if I get to say it. The first paragraph of this book. Yeah, that's also why I'm glad you get to say it. That was so kind of you, Michael. You're yeah, welcome. yeah, you're, I know. I'm basically you're very nice. Uh, is one sentence, and it is, My mother and father did not have a happy marriage. Wait, what does that sound Which, if you know anything about literature, it sounds very similar. Wait, 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 no, let me guess, wait, wait, let me guess, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. No, Ethan, you're wrong, get out. Crap, okay, I'll leave that. It sounds (laughs) very similar to the first line of Anna Karenina. Yes. Um, which, uh, I'm admittedly... I'm wondering if I have my copy. Oh, if you've got your here. copy, you can grab it and then we'll look I at it. I don't know where it um, be, though. Mm. It might be in the other room. But, uh... Go on, go if, on. If, it, if it wasn't enough there that it sounds like Anna Karenina, um, Georgie and Zoya, later on, after they live in London, go and see Anna Karenina. Oh, well, there's right. mention of Anna Karenina when he accidentally stumbles upon the classroom. Yes, Alice, yes. Too. That's yes. the other they're, they're one. They're studying Anna Karenina. That's the other one I was going to That's mention, right. partially because I believe, um, and it's been a while since I did do my reading of this book, but I believe it's the only outside text that's directly mentioned yeah. in this yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, like, the Bible. Maybe they mention the Bible? Maybe, I'm, I'm but... Sure maybe. theological... But, like, mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, no, it's 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 Anna Karenina. So, like, this book is, in a sense, an overlay of Anna Karenina. I mean, there's marital marital infidelity going on, which is part of the discussion that they have after watching Anna Karenina. Yes. Where, like, mm-hmm. he even says to her, but you would never be unfaithful to me, like she was. And that comes, like, that two chapters back. after. Yeah. yeah. That like, because that's that's in the portion where you're going backwards in time, and so you remember because earlier in the book, later in time, she was unfaithful. Yeah, she was Anna Karenina. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's that whole aspect of everything where that that just hopelessness and the deconstruction of this family that happens with Anna Karenina. Um, that's so there. I... Go ahead. However, I want to say this: I have not read Anna Karenina. Oh. Um. I I know vaguely Anna Karenina. I mean, I've seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a version of the movie. A version of a the film movie. Version. A film of the movie, yes. A film of the movie. A, a film, film of version the movie. of the book. Good, good work. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, but, however, I have read another book by Leo Tolstoy. I have read War and Peace. Okay. And I heard of it. think... Yeah, I know. It sounds vaguely it's, familiar. It's out there. Um, I think I can draw a line of comparison between this book and War and Peace, not with the literary aspect of it, but with Leo Tolstoy's theories about history. Okay. Um, Because at the end of War and Peace, there are epilogues, several epilogues, uh, in which he talks about his historical theory. And it's really fascinating um, how he goes into how individuals are somewhat key to history but really it's about the groups that are the movers of history and like they're centered under individuals but you you don't have a movement in history without the army that's under the general and so you know you've got napoleon who's this great figurehead but napoleon would be nothing without his army and so that's part of his historical theory um anyway so it's like a combination of the great man theory with almost Probably not a Marxist theory. Not a, like not a, quite Marxist, no. Much more sort of sociological, broad. Yeah, broad yeah. There's there's a sociological aspect kind to of it. Theory. Um, now, and and I was thinking about that more specifically in my second read of this book. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure whether this ruins the book for me or makes it better. <laughs> so definitely one or the other, though, right? <laughs> definitely one or the other, and I'm leaning towards making it better. Um, even though it might destroy the entire book. <laughs> and we're on. not talking about the book War and Peace. No, we're, we're talking, talking about we're, we're talking about the House of Special Just Purpose. To be clear, my my, okay. my idea about how it connects to Tolstoy and his 
historical vision of things. So if we're taking this as a historical vision, and this is kind of what John Boyne does too, at least all the books I've read of his are historical fictions. Mm. Um, I would call this a historical fantasy. Yeah. And okay. here's why. Not just because of Rasputin and how he's a magical <laughs> wizard creep uh, in this book, uh, which is like part of his legend anyway. And so he's say, not really inventing too much there. Arguably just a historical portrayal of uh, right. at least how everyone seems to have seen Rasputin. Right. right. But here's the thing. He's taking these figures who, from history, John Boyne is, and idealizing them in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, for Rasputin, it's turning him into the ideal evil. Uh, he is he is so evil, which is part of the just the, the the view of him from people how they view Rasputin. Sure. But also, he's doing the same thing with Anastasia. I mean, how many people haven't fantasized about the idea? What if Anastasia survived? Right. What if she right. didn't die there? And uh, I mean, you've got the movie. Right. <laughs> that they came out with her. The 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 cartoon. And this um, is actually all getting at one of the chief questions I was left with. Okay. Especially from like a quality perspective of this book or a sort of a literary evaluation perspective mm -hmm. is just that idea of why this story, why the story where Anastasia survives. Yes. Um, because, you know, the, and it's, it is sort of one of those mysteries of history and for a long time it was a legitimate mystery oh yeah did you know right. um all of everything we knew and had as right. far as accounts of um what happened in the aftermath of the russian revolution implied that there could have been a girl who survived the, right. the slaughter of the royal right. family it's possible. Um, more recently and as i mm -hmm. uh, get in trouble with my glee of pointing out to my wife who loves the the animated movie and some of her friends mm -hmm. who love the animated movie <laughs> anastasia definitely got lined up against a wall and shot oh yeah like definitely. We, there's been it's genetic been proved. tests and <laughs> yeah and everything like it's it's that's you she know, she died with the rest of the romanov as yeah. non-controversial as any historical fact can possibly be nobody point. gets offended by history what yeah <laughs> is right all of this fantasy about anastasia is that is she Russia though? Like kinda. His from a historical kind of broad viewpoint, were we all just hoping that Russia didn't actually like die off? Oh the, sure. The, the grand imperial Russia. The beautiful Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Before the... the revolution and all that, and even in the in the book, in House of Special Purpose, this just occurred to me. So I'm kind of thinking through it out loud sure. here. Does she continue? Does Zoya then become Russia, and mm. kind of all of the the turmoil oh, that seeking, Russia has gone? She's over. going through this turmoil. And she's seeking out this hard work. Like that's how she's trying yeah. to live her existence now. And yeah. she's going through crises of of a loyalty, crisis and of identity. identity, and her children are dying, and she can't have children. Right. And oh man. Dang. Wow. Yeah. All right, that's that's the end of um, <laughs> Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. Sarah We're has now closing our doors. Sarah has now taken this podcast from us somehow. I'm sorry, um, I didn't mean to. In a sort of sort of Russian Revolution esque <laughs> overthrow, she lined us up against. We are going to get lined up against the wall us. and shot, no! and there is no Georgie to save yeah. us. And even if he did, he would get one look at our faces and just. Okay, but here's 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 my assertion about Georgie. Um, he invents this book. Oh. Okay. Is this the theory that you started out to, yes. to go this to is like where I started. 10 minutes ago? Like Georgie is John Boyne. Um, and there are a couple thoughts behind Wait, that. Georgie is John Boyne or John Boyne is Georgie? Yes. Okay. Just um, sure. there's mud. <laughs> there's mud. Yes. So no, um so Georgie is a paradox in a lot of ways. Mm. He starts out as this poor, uneducated little boy from a peasant town. He's a peasant. Uh, and through no fault of his own, but yet also fault of his own, he winds up... Um, <laughs> he winds up in the palace. <laughs> Shut up. 
<laughs> Keep going, please. And he he takes over this new position uh, in being close to the royal family, and against all the odds, uh, strikes up a, a romantic relationship with Anastasia, the the most beautiful princess uh, in Russia. Although I think they they make a a, a point that uh, one of her older sisters is more beautiful, but but not to Georgie, not to Georgie. No, he's very adamant. No. Um, but, okay, so here's here's my thought. Georgie kind of pulls Zoya slash Anastasia out of Russia. He saves her um, mm-hmm. in a very yeah. real way. Uh, and it's especially to him, though, that he saves her. Like, I have saved Anastasia. I've saved the woman I love. And that's very important to him. But she is still stuck. She is still rooted back to Russia, which ties back to Sarah's brilliant analysis that I'm not going to touch anymore because it's it's it's, it's, it's done. Pure and shining anyway. and golden. Yep. Oh. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, there's there's a particular moment in the book where it's it's a Zoya chapter. So in the in the future half of things, um, it's in 1953, and it's this this was the point where the book really started to just punch me in the gut not that it hadn't yeah. already yeah it's, it just it's just one punch in the gut after another but here's where it really did it to me on page 176 um he's talking to zoya and they're like almost getting in an argument well they, they are kind of getting in an argument because she uh has been unfaithful to him and uh he's arguing with her and she's saying you're too good to have done anything like this uh, that's what makes you you. You're kind and decent, and I, and she paused, I am not. Um, and then they're in silence, and then he says, uh, Zoya, I said, did you do it so that I would leave you? She looked at me and swallowed, turning away, saying nothing. Did you think that if I left you, it would be a punishment of sorts, that you deserve to be punished? Silence. My God, I said, shaking my head, you still think it was your fault, don't you? You still want to die. And... Like that survivor's guilt. Yeah. That she's the, going through throughout the entire. Book. That's that yeah. that characterizes Zoya as survivor's guilt. But it, I, I also think it's a little bit more like it, it, it's survival survivor's guilt. But also according to history, she should not have survived. Right. So this this actually uh, segues nicely into one of my probably least relevant thoughts about this book that <laughs> okay. I'm gonna put put on here anyway why not um so while i was reading reading this book um karen and i were working our way through season two of the flash on netflix <laughs> um, okay which relating to the flash to russian yes history. yes here we go <laughs> strap in kids because this is gonna be a wild <laughs> ride um so say it as fast as the flash i will not because <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hear me um me. there you said it <laughs> Is this like in, in on the playground in like fifth grade when you're like, I'm going to run around the world, you know, in, yep. in a second. And then you're like, ah, see, did you see it? No, I you just did because I did it too fast. Yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> anyway. No. OK, so in season two of The Flash, for those of you who like have lives, um, <laughs> you know, the, the there's a lot of stuff with like the timeline, because, of course, The Flash can run so fast that he can sort of run backwards in time, which if you if that doesn't make sense, you're clearly not familiar enough with bad TV versions of what quantum physics is. Um, yep. <laughs> but so anyway, there's there's all this stuff about like the Flash can can change the future. He can go back in the past and sort of alter the timeline, but like time doesn't want to be altered, so it sort of fights back right. against time him as and, a living entity and, and so forth, or at least it has consciousness or yeah. something. Like it sends monsters. Like if you if you mess with the timeline these monsters come and, and try to kill you try to kill you or subsume because you or something time they're dementors basically they're dementors yeah speed speed dementors speed dementors time dementors anyway <laughs> so there's all this stuff where like the more you mess with like if you mess with the timeline a little bit maybe you can get away with it but like the more you mess with it the more bad stuff happens and the yep. more the dementors try to get you um <laughs> so uh like I kept because because that was so in my mind and we had you know been been watching a an episode or two a night after work, um like I kept just thinking of course Zoya of course you're like feeling awful and and feeling all this survivor's guilt you're in a timeline that's not meant to exist right the time remnants are coming after you her cancer is a time remnant yes exactly 
Exactly. Uh, um, which, like I said, I don't know that that's relevant at all. But that's it is no, that's basically along the lines of what I was saying. Not right. necessarily connected with the Flash and the DC <laughs> universe. But like, essentially, like, her timeline shouldn't exist. The yeah. concept of the historical fantasy. Yeah, it's a historical right. fantasy. She right. is being pulled out and put into some place that's not normal. And so really what this book is, and this is why I think I like this theory and why this makes this book even better for me, uh-huh. because it's a commentary on the act of historical fiction. Oh, interesting. Weird. And I mean, it's yes. well, it's it's one of those things that is sort of a both-and situation. You could say... You know, she has the survivor's guilt because science fictionally she has some sense that her timeline shouldn't exist. But you could this is also how survivor's guilt works. Yeah. Exactly. Um, is people yeah. you know, that's essentially what it is, is people saying, I survived this thing, I had no right to survive it, therefore you know, in I've I've li- I've heard people, you know, talk about grief or about trauma, um, in the terms of like they think that they're in some sort of dream. They think that, you know, um, even, uh, I, I was, this is just fresh in my mind because I was listening to Patton Oswalt's latest, um, stand-up album, which is, oh. here's a weird deep cut for you, but, um, he talked about, you know, his wife's death and, and some of the grief, uh, associated with that. And he said that he had this thought that maybe he actually was the one who died. Like that's mm. a sense that kept occurring to him. Mm. Um, and that oh. maybe this was all sort of a fantasy that he had constructed, as like the next worst possible thing because he couldn't accept his own death so Mm -hmm. like within the realm of survivor's guild some of the psychology does get very sort of science fictional sounding yeah um so i think that does actually sort of bolster what you're saying i don't know if you finished saying it so uh, i pretty much did i mean it's connected with that um it's also connected with my also regular segment of this show if I may yeah. introduce... You of have course. a regular segment in this show. A regular segment in this he show. Does. What oh. is that segment called? <laughs> Names with Michael. Names. 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 Names with Michael. Didn't you, didn't you say you had an actual thing that you edit in here? I do, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a thing that comes, you so. Tell me it's like... Everybody heard it. Yeah. played on a harpsichord. No. Oh, uh, it should be, though. It might maybe, be maybe I'll change it. Maybe that'll be a season two cut. Season two cut of, of Names with Michael. So you can probably, because the book actually does its own version of Names with Michael by itself. Um, <laughs> it does. I'm just it going really to say does. that it does Names with Michael. If you read it, yeah, it does. that's actually a fair, that's a very fair. Comment. Um, because it explains okay, when when you brought up when Anastasia changed her name, yeah, call me Zoya, she explained it. It means life. Yeah. Um, Zoya means life. Uh, Georgie earlier explains his name. It means farmer. Um, I think I think Anastasia gets explained. Um, it means resurrection. Um, oh, yeah. And Rasputin's names, the, the Starrets, and all of that, it, it explains what all of those names mean. Like, the book itself explains what's name, what names mean. Almost so it's, it's, like it doesn't leave you any work to do. It, it really almost doesn't. So, but, like, you can draw these connections. It so really wants you to understand. It wants you to understand. <laughs> and, like, that helps with the idea of being able to figure out that Anastasia is Zoya. Uh, because if you know Anastasia means resurrection and Zoya means life, the resurrection and the life just go together. Oh, wow, wow! There's some great big Western civilizational culture that should have informed. It's like this. some overarching thing in Western society that is a common text of all of us that we know. You um, know, sometimes I doubt the uh, efficacy of names with Michael going into a particular episode, but I think now that you just did a legitimately insightful names with michael for the book that explains all of the names with michael i i'm never going to doubt again thank you thank you very much if Uh, i may interject into names with michael reading that portion where georgie explains that his name means farmer and what is a farmer but a very humble yes job very humble person and he ends up working in the british library Yes. This great temple of 
he knowledge he is and, exalted eventually. Yeah, exactly. Um, can I? I, I want to expand yes. on that though. When I, here, here's where I'm having a little bit of difficulty. When does Georgie explain his name? When does he say it means farmer? Was that to like, Anastasia? To Anastasia. As soon, like soon after he entered the palace. Here's my problem. Um, he was still this bumpkin. He was. When he came in. And so, like, it's certainly feasible that he knew what his name meant. But also maybe not, because his name was not a Russian word. Mm. Um, his name is Greek. Mm. Um, Georgie is Greek. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it's adopted into Russian. Like, George is the same word. Um, and it means farmer. But only in a sense does it mean farmer. In fact, George or Georgie is two words in Greek, geo, meaning earth, and ergos, meaning worker, hmm. earth worker. Okay. And that's where it means farmer, because it's somebody who's working the earth. Here. However, there are more people who work the earth than farmers. And I'm thinking of two specifically. You brought up the museum that he winds up working in. Another person who works the earth is an archaeologist. Mm. Somebody who oh. works in the history. Okay. Uh, and the other part fits into the fantasy idea here of historical fantasy because another person who works the earth is a grave digger. Okay. Interesting. So <laughs> your your argument then is essentially sort of that uh uh John Boyne here is in the in the deep cut portion of this book saying that as a as a writer of historical fiction and in a very real sense especially for this book historical fantasy. Yes. Um He's sort of excavating these graves. So yes! There's an acknowledgement that they are real graves, that there's something that yes! is being is, is there to, well, to be excavated. With the preoccupation this book has with death, yeah. it's uh, totally legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> there is a preoccupation with death, yeah. yes. Yes. Apt. Yes. Apt. What, what, why, why do you think that's apt, Sarah? <laughs> um, I think that... <laughs> Well, someone dies before he leaves the village. He's, yes, the the book death moves him. Georgie. The, mm. the the book begins with elderly Georgie and Zoya, mm-hmm. and he's facing his wife's imminent death. It it does it, it moves him. Georgie doesn't happen book. without yeah. death around him. Yeah, which is interesting because his wife's name is life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so that's, um, the abbreviated, I mean, that's, the the book itself explains names and things, and so that's, that's really all I have to say about names with Michael, except for that interesting fact, which makes Georgie a little bit unreliable as a narrator, just the fact that he could explain what his name meant as a bumpkin. I'm not saying it's totally unfeasible, but I think it's a little odd that somebody who is so concerned with being a farmer, not necessarily that he himself is, but that that's the life that he's in, that he would know the exact meaning of his name. It's okay. not totally unrealistic. I don't speak a lick of Hebrew, and neither did my parents, and I grew up knowing that Sarah means princess. Yeah, there are ways it, that these things that's get fun passed down. <laughs> sure, it's fun, but maybe it was a sort of thing where Georgie's father was just like, "Yeah, you came from humble beginnings, and don't you ever forget it." Yeah, you're just sure. farmer Georgie. Sure, yeah, that's true. Because his father that, was a little abusive. That was yeah. the kind of father he had. Yeah, yeah. Not super caring and nice. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, the the just the opening in general of this book is is interesting. very interesting. So the uh oh we never did get around to quoting the opening of Anna Karenina. <laughs> no we didn't. Um, we didn't. No, we didn't. You, you picked it up there. <laughs> well I, I I picked up the portable Tolstoy oh, Anna Karenina that is it, not in there. That it would be in there, but no. Yeah but that book in looks fact, half as long as either Anna Karenina or War and Peace. It's right. all happy so, families well, are I was uh, what I was hoping was happy that families are all alike. Every unhappy family, family is unhappy in its own way. In its own way. There we go. Yes. Um, so then, which the, uh, another author also misquotes as the opening of his own book. Okay. Who is that author who misquotes the opening of that book? I think that should be another rule that Michael can't bring that book up. No, book no, it's not that book. About? It's not that book. It's not that book. What book is it? It's a different book by the same author. Oh, it's well, that's um, going with it. um, it's it's oh. Vladimir Nabokov. Yeah. Which book is it? It's the A one starts with an A. Ada. Ada. Ada or Arda. Okay. Ada or Arda is the one that starts that way. So. I was thinking of this other book that's not super fave. Are you that going to? Be, is that, that the rule? Are rules, you forbidding yeah. me from bringing up that certain book by the author Vladimir Nabokov? 
I'll consider it. I like, <laughs> how, you're, I like how you're obeying this rule already. In we retrospect. already established that ex post facto applies <laughs> yeah, here. I know we did. Like, Treading I don't lightly. blame you for it. I'm just pointing it out. So, like, if there's a possibility that this rule could become a rule, I'm going to obey the rule. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I don't blame you at all. I just am making fun of you for it. That that makes sense. Yeah. That's fine. Um, Very good. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we, we just quoted... But my point being, Vladimir Nabokov is himself the master of unreliable narrators. That is true. So... Um, so, with that quote in mind, my mother and father did not have a happy marriage. So it's almost as though he took the opening of uh, Anna Karenina and ensconced this book within it, right from yeah. right from that opening. Well, as soon as you make such a quotation, such a such a, a nod, yeah. then you are implying that the rest of what you're talking about will be colored by that. Right. And so it's almost like the book itself here, The House of Special Purpose, is asking you, go read Anna Karenina, then come back. Yeah, yeah. Which I would then argue, go read the canon of Tolstoy and come back. Right. <laughs> it's light reading. So it's you light can reading. Get yeah. it pretty you can do that. So let's, let's pause definitely... for the gentle listener to go and read the canon of <laughs> okay, Tolstoy. Okay, no, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> we don't, even have, we don't have an entire year for them to go get through just yeah, Anna Karenina and War and Peace. <laughs> also, I would like to note that we do retain our credibility on this podcast between the two of us. Because you have read War and Peace, and I have read Anna Karenina. All right, so we're good. So we are we are good as a good. We're good. Sarah, have you read either of them? I have read the first half of Anna Karenina. Okay, that's so, that's that's for a guest. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost qualified. Yeah, no, like, you're very the the guest the guest automatically a, meets all qualifications. Sounded like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I know it did, and I was trying to rescue it from that. And what I was really hoping is that no one would point out. How much of a backhanded compliment like, but See, I guess... but I am the husband here, so I, I am obligated to defend the wife's do you, honor. Do you, are you walking us straight into fighting a duel right now? I think that's what has to happen. Okay, so. well. Um, wow. I mean, we seem like we're coming to the end of this episode anyway. We're pretty close anyway. So, uh, gentle listener, maybe Michael and I will fight a duel. I think that's we're, what's going to happen gonna, now. We're going to have to go out and fight a duel. So in two weeks... I feel weeks, like we've ended an episode on that note before. Have we? I think we've fought a duel before. Have we? I think we have. Have we fought a duel or have we threatened to fight a duel? Maybe we forgotten? just threatened and we never did, but yeah. now we're actually going no, to do we're, it. No, we're actually definitely going to have to fight a duel. So, so thanks, thanks, Sarah. This is for you. You, you wanted so to be a guest on this podcast, you. and now you, you have created bloodshed so it i hope it's your fault so i hope duty. you i hope whoever dies you feel guilty about it hey, some hey. survivors survivors guilt about it yes as the wife it's your obligation Ooh. on this particular episode also she just said feminine duty so that's amusing oh whoa <laughs> yikes do we have to that, fight is that, i think that's another reason for me now? to fight you do we have to fight two so duels? like after the first one we're gonna duel again yeah we are yeah <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. Which should be really the motto of this podcast. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> that's our job. That's, that's the end of the motto. Don't that's, think about it too hard. That's, that's our, our job. job. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. So should we should we say goodbye? I I think so. Yeah. Okay. So join us again in two weeks when we will have part two of our discussion of whatever this book is, The House of Special Purpose. Um, at least between Michael and me, one of us will be here because we are about to go fight a duel. One and of us will die. Sarah will also be here. Um, because feeling survivor's guilt. Yeah. Uh, really, no More matter on that later. which of us dies. Um, yep. so but in the meantime, feel free to read along. Though, if you're at this point of the podcast, you've clearly read the book. Yeah. Uh, but if you'd like to join the discussion, visit us at tapsradio.org. Leave your leave your feedback in the comments section. Contact free. That that's. I mean, there there's the a one... comment section under the episode itself on the website, but right. you're more likely to get to us if you go to the contact section and the tab up at the top of the website. Are you done? Yep. Go ahead. Thanks. Please finish. Um, be sure to put Scotch Talk in the subject line. Uh, if you like what we do here each month, review us on iTunes. The higher you rate us, the more you review us, uh, the more exposure we get. And if there's one thing that Michael and I like, it's being exposed in public. 
It's true. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> follow us on... Sarah's having great revelations tonight. <laughs> follow us on Twitter, at Room with Scotch. Uh, find us on Facebook. There's Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. There's also Tapestry Radio Network, which is yes. the the flagship page for our whole network. From there, you can find episodes of Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. You can find episodes of our podcast, Intermission, which is our, our audio drama podcast. Um, you can find episodes of Pokemon Rollout, the yep. uh, um, Pokemon RPG podcast, on which I myself was a recent guest. So yeah. if you haven't gotten enough of Michael and me being on the same podcast, uh, there's, Go your, find that one. there's your double dose. Thank you for that <laughs> laughter, Sarah. Um, <laughs> uh, find uh, the tap room, too, uh, the tap house. On Tapestry Facebook. Radio Tap House, yes. Uh, You'll have to apply for admission so we don't get bots and spammers and... Nazis. Nazis and um, Russian agents. Uh, Unless you're Anastasia. If you are Anastasia, you are Please contact us immediately. Please tell us. uh, (laughs) And give us the scoop of the century, I guess. Also, here at the the bottom of the show, I would like to give a shout-out to Michael Buchanan. Yeah! um, Who has become our second donor. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Uh, we do greatly appreciate that. Yes, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It helps to, uh, first of all, keep us being sure to be able to have a website, uh, and then it helps our yes. podcasts improve. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, thank, thank you for that. Uh, I just always feel very humble, humbled when anyone donates anything to our Right? Like, when people give show. me money, I'm like, oh, Oh, Wait, you, you, please tell me I have some more. Well, no, that's not. I'm like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> like, you, you, really? You gave me really? that. Do you want it back? Because I don't like. Think... Was was this the best decision you could have made? <laughs> can I, can I help you with your life right now <laughs> I, by giving this back to you? Yeah. Okay. We both know Mike, and he definitely has his life together oh, way better oh my than gosh, either of yeah. us do. So. He's, he's, He's he's um, doing great. So. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Mike Mike is cool. Uh, Mike's very cool, and especially for the for the whole donation thing. So yeah, um, thank you, thank you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it for now. Sounds about right. Okay. So so uh, join us in two weeks for part two of the House of Special Purpose on Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. That Sarah is also. That Sarah is also in the room. She's in the room with Michael and Ethan. This is going to make the acronym way, even way more complicated. Already it's complicated because it's like, meow. Also, we're adding all of these sentences into the acronym. (laughs) This is going to be bad. And you should quit while you're... Let's stop. We're done. Good. Okay, gentle listener, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye.
need one more time. [laughs] And that's our show. Thank you everybody. [laughs] Glad you could be here.